0: Mark one sixteen. Mark one sixteen. Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship. "...mending their nets, and straightway he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him." That brings us to verse 21, which will begin our text today. "...and they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine." For he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. This would sort of disrupt. A church service, right? you got a guy that's sitting in there and he begins to scream out. He cried out and said, I know who you are. (laughs) You're Jesus of Nazareth. And uh, so a little bit of excitement on a Saturday morning. Verse 25, and Jesus rebuked him saying, hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, these uh, synagogue attendees, they questioned among themselves, saying, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. So this was a great moment. A a day at at the synagogue you would not soon forget. It's a time when Jesus is just beginning his... This is not the first miracle... But he's just beginning his earthly ministry and we're going to look at that together. Let's pray together. Father, please today help us to glean from your word what you have for us. Create in us, O God, a desire to learn, to grow, to worship you, to love you, to give our lives to you. We talk about it. We sing about it. But Lord, we need for it to be a reality in our life, that you're first and foremost in our thoughts and our words, and particularly, especially, most importantly, in our worship. And I pray that today, even, we could learn from your scripture things about you, things about ourselves, things that would, Lord, bring us more in line with your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, notice in verse 21, a simple statement that I want to spend a moment on. It says in verse 21, and they went into Capernaum. And they, and they went into Capernaum. Basically, this is the way Jesus made disciples. We'd already talked about how he called Andrew and Peter and James and John to follow him. And they're following him. In verse 21, the pronoun they, and they went into These men were traveling with Jesus. Now, Capernaum is on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. We've talked about that. It's not a great distance from where they were. I'm sure when he called these disciples, they were fishing on the Sea of Galilee. And so they're traveling with Jesus. They're making their way around the sea and toward the northern part of the sea. And they went with him. These men traveled with Jesus. Now, Now, very simple but I think overlooked and underappreciated and certainly uh, not impacting many lives, they spent time with Jesus. They spent time with Him. They walked with Him. They watched Him. They listened to Him. They asked Him questions. They learned from Him. This is a very important thing to grab hold of. Discipleship is not just learning passage of Scripture. Discipleship is not just learning Bible doctrines. It is that, but it's much more than that. Many people are familiar with Bible stories who are not disciples. They're not really living with, following with, spending time with Jesus. A disciple spends time with Jesus. A disciple walks with Him like these men walked with Him. They walk with Him in a physical way, in a visible way, in a tangible way. We walk with Him by faith, but it's the same walk, humans, mortals, walking with God. Walking with Him on a daily basis. Learning from Him. What has the Lord been teaching you? What have you been learning from the Lord in your personal Bible study? In your daily walk with Him. This is what a disciple does. It's being involved in ministry with Him. That's what it means to be a disciple. And let me say this to every person here who is truly a convert. You've been born again by the Spirit of God. This should characterize our life. Walking with Jesus. Talking with Jesus. Living with Jesus. Asking Him questions. Learning From Jesus, not just on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night, but in our daily life. So this is this is what we see in verse 21. They went into Capernaum, into the northern region, the city of Capernaum, and verse 21 says, And straightway on the Sabbath day, the seventh day of the week, he entered into the synagogue and taught. So we see Jesus with this group. And he's teaching. They went into Capernaum. They went to the place that Jews would assemble on the Sabbath day to the synagogue. Now this is not the first time Jesus taught publicly. In Luke chapter 4, there's the record of when Jesus, after he was uh, had that 40 days of temptation, and he was uh, uh, filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit of God, that he went into the synagogue in Nazareth, which is much Not much, but many miles south of Capernaum. He went into there and taught and read, remember, from Isaiah 61. He took the scripture. We may look at that in a moment. So this is not the first time he taught. This is not the first time he visited a synagogue. And this is not the first time a miracle took place. Uh, John's gospel tells us the first miracle was in Cana of Galilee. But this is the first occasion where Mark records Jesus teaching in a synagogue and performing a miracle. By the word, the word synagogue very simply defined is congregation. That's what a synagogue is. It's where the Jews would assemble. And a bit of history, uh, the, the word synagogue is only found one time in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the primary place that they would come for special events to worship was the temple. But during the time of the exile, when the... Israel and Judah were fallen captive to the Assyrian Empire and then to the uh, Babylonian Empire, they were taken exile and the temple was destroyed and during that period of exile, that time of exile, they began to worship in different locations. And if you study about the synagogue, the Jews had basically a rule, not an unwritten rule, I think it was a written rule, that any place there were ten heads of family living in a close locale, they would have a synagogue, a place to meet. They didn't always meet in a building, but sometimes they would meet in buildings that would be called the synagogue, the assembly place. As a matter of fact, there were rules for the synagogue in case you ever want to convert to Judaism, the synagogue would be constructed in such a way that when you were worshiping, you were facing Jerusalem. And so there were many of these synagogues around the region, around Galilee and Judea. And so this is where Jesus went on the Sabbath day because that's where the Jewish people assembled. And when you would go to a synagogue service... There Several things would take place. There would be a time of prayer, a prayer time. Then there would be a time of singing and worship and surely singing the Psalms. There would be a scripture reading. There was actually a system whereby in the synagogue, if you showed up at the synagogue on the Sabbath day, that they would read through the law once every three years. They would read the scripture. Imagine that just sitting and listening to the scripture being read, some people might find that boring, but it's the Word of God and it's live and it's powerful. And they would read the Scripture, but then they would have a teaching. Uh, let's hold our place here in Mark chapter one and go with you, me, would please, to the book of Acts, Acts chapter fifteen, the Acts recording uh, the the uh, growth of churches, the spreading of the gospel. And by the way, Paul would Paul would follow the same basic plan that jesus did when paul went into a city he would go to the synagogue that's where the jewish people would be and he'd go there and he would be asked to teach or to read acts chapter 15 and verse 21 it says this about what we're discussing moses of old time talking about the law moses the writings of moses moses of for moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. You see the routine. This is the way it happened. Seventh day, they'd, they'd assemble in the, in the synagogue. They'd be reading uh, the scripture. Go to the left just a little bit to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 and verse um, 14. It says that Paul and his company came into Antioch and Pisidia. They went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. They sat down. Look in verse 15. Acts 13, 15. And after the reading of the law and the prophets. So here's the system. It's a protocol. They'd read the law. They'd read the prophets. The rulers of the synagogue sent unto them saying, You men of brethren, talking to Paul and his company, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on Then Paul stood up and beckoned with his hand and said, and he began to speak to them. So let's go back to Mark 1. Jesus shows up on a Saturday to the synagogue, the seventh day, the day the Jews had assembled. And the Bible says in verse 21, he entered into the synagogue and taught. He began to teach them. As I said earlier, Luke chapter 4 records basically the same thing. There in another synagogue in the city of Nazareth, he begins to teach. One of the things it says in verse 22 of Luke 4 is this, that they were astonished at his doctrine. They were fastened upon him. And the same kind of thing happens here in verse 22. Look in Mark chapter 1 in verse 22. And they were astonished at his doctrine. They were astonished at the teaching of Jesus. And his teaching was different. Look what verse 22 says. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Now the scribes are referred to often in the Gospels. The scribes were like teachers. They were clerks, really, like secretaries. They would record things. But they were also Specialists in the law, in the law of God in the Old Testament, and they were teachers of the law, so there were no in the synagogues, there were no like pastors like we would think of a pastor of a church, but they were officers, and they would call on people to speak, and if they had a guest like Paul who was traveling, who was uh, <coughs> had a great history of, of Jewish history, and so they would ask people to read or ask people to speak. But if not, the scribes would teach. And the people who heard Jesus teach said, He doesn't teach like these scribes taught. He's not as them. Look in verse 22. They were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught, he didn't teach new doctrine, by the way. He taught the same thing. He He taught the very same thing from the law that they taught, but he taught it differently. It came from within him. He taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. He taught like his teaching was different. There was something about the way Jesus taught. There was a certainty. There was an authority. There was an absoluteness in his teaching that was absent in the teaching of others. It had nothing to do with the how loud his voice was had nothing to do with the language he used I don't think it even had to do with his voice inflection, his oratory skills it had to do with something about his relationship to the word of God by the way he is the word of God and so as he's teaching them they said this is different there's something different about this this is what it said in the gospel of John about Jesus teaching they said when they heard him never man spake like this man His teaching was different. And while he's teaching, verse 23 says, And there was a man in their synagogue, or there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Now that didn't just mean he needed a bath, unclean spirit. This was a deeply troubled man, an afflicted man, spiritually unclean. The phrase to these two words connected, Unclean spirit. That phrase is found ten times in the New Testament. Always referring to someone who is demonically possessed or demonically controlled or demonically influenced. Here's a man in the synagogue. He doesn't tell us this. But we could assume that this man may have attended the synagogue every Sabbath day. He He may have been a regular there but he had some deep spiritual problems. They may have never recognized it, but this man is actually demonically controlled. He is demon-possessed. And so here he is in this synagogue in in a state of tremendous spiritual bondage. And it says in verse 23, the last part of the verse, he cried out. Now... For my own benefit in doing this research, I looked up those words, cried out and what that means, and it means exactly what we think it would mean. He screamed out loud. Jesus is teaching. people are amazed at his teaching, and in the midst of Jesus teaching, this man screamed out loud. And the Bible, this fascinating, amazing book, records for us the actual words that He screamed out. Look in verse 24. He said, He cried out in verse 23, saying, let, We're going to break this down bit by bit, but he's, this is what he said. Let us alone. The second phrase, a question, What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? A third question, a third phrase or question Art thou come to destroy us? Us, the Plural pronoun us. The plural pronoun us in the first. Let us alone. And then the last phrase in verse 24. I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. So this demon-possessed man in the middle of the sermon begins to scream out loud. And the first thing he says is... Or was, let us alone. Now he's not speaking for himself. He's speaking for others, right? Let us alone. And it's very possible that this man was possessed with more than one demon. That's not an unusual occurrence. But it also means he's, he could be speaking about the demonic world in general. Let us alone. Imagine saying that to Jesus. Let us alone. Alone. By the way, one thing is not changed. Jesus is not welcomed by Satan and his demons. He's bo- they're bothered by him. By the way, they're bothered by him inside people even today. They're bo- people are bothered by him. They don't mind a little sermon they don't mind a lecture. They don't mind religion. But they don't really want Jesus invading their territory. And Jesus is invading their territory. And, but they're not welcoming to Jesus. And then he asked this question in verse 24. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Now this, this demon inside this man had access to some information. Right that he knew he knew who Jesus was, he knew where Jesus was raised, he knew Jesus. What have we to do with you and by the way, they have nothing to do with Jesus of Nazareth, nothing in common with Jesus of Nazareth, but it tells us that Jesus is recognized in the spirit world, and when I say the spirit world, I'm not the world of demons of uh, The world of fallen angels, the world of uh, the demonic world, the world that Satan has uh, authority in. Jesus is recognized in that spirit world. The demons knew exactly who he was. And then this question in verse 24. Art thou come to destroy us? Are you here? Imagine this voice crying out. Are you here to destroy us? Well, that is precisely why he was there. That's precisely why he came. You know, it's an amazing thing to me when I read passages like this, how clueless some people can be to what God is about, but how keenly aware Satan himself is aware of what God is about. Christians may be just in a place of spiritual or at least they claim to be christians a spiritual slumber not really in tune at all to what god's about but i'm telling you the powers of darkness are very aware of what god is about are you come to destroy us matter of fact first john 3 8 says that that's why he came to destroy the works of the devil they knew his purpose they knew who he was his identity and then, and then just to repeat that in verse 24, the end of verse 24, I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. You know, me, he was recognizing that he was, Jesus wasn't just a good man, that Jesus was the Son of God. He was incarnate, God incarnate, he was deity. You know, again, men may deny the deity of Christ, but Devils, devils don't deny it they recognize it for who he is so here's a man sitting in the congregation and I may be wrong about this but I'm assuming that he was just part of the crowd people probably knew him but they didn't know that inside this man he was being tormented he was being troubled. Could have, been a, could have been any other person. And by the way, I'm, th- I'm thinking there are people like that around us a lot. Tormented, troubled, unhappy, on, unsatisfied. And they have got this voice inside them. And they don't recognize sometimes what it is, this voice saying to them, this is not what you need, this is not what you want, why are you here? I'm telling you, it's the world that we live in just as much as it was the world that Jesus lived in. But this is going to be a life-changing day for this man. So what did Jesus do in verse 25? Verse 25 says, And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. Hold thy peace. Be silent. Uh, Around our house... We don't use the phrase, shut up. We haven't for as long as I can remember. We, I think it's a disrespectful phrase. And, but what Jesus said to this, this demon was in essence, shut up. <laughs> Enough of your voice. I don't want to hear any more out of you. He says to him in verse 25, "You rebuked him, hold thy peace And come out of him. And the Bible says in verse 26. And when the unclean spirit had torn him. You know the devil does not want to lose his grip on people's lives. And I don't believe that every person who is in some way influenced by demonic activity that's oppressed is is necessarily demon possessed but in any case the devil does not want to loosen his grip on people people who have addictions people who are filled with bitterness people who are addicted to pornography people who are addicted to lust people who are addicted to sinful behavior people who are addicted to their own pride and selfishness. That, that, is, that None of that. Please hear me. None of that is the influence of the spirit of God. That's the work of the devil. To keep people in bondage to their self. Bondage to their own ideas. Bondage to their pride. Bondage to their religion. And the Satan does not want to lose his grip on people. But the good news is Jesus can set people free. And... Jesus says to that demon in verse uh, 25, um, Come out of him. And in verse 26, when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he had to obey Jesus. Right? He came out of him. Jesus rebuked him and he came out of him. He released this man. What a victory! By the way, keep keep in mind what Jesus said when he was preaching and John the Baptist said when he was preaching. The kingdom of God is at hand. There's a new king in town. And his name is Jesus. And this is a clash, this is a conflict between the kingdom and the rule of Satan in a person's life And the kingdom and rule of Jesus Christ in a person's life. And make no mistake about it. Jesus Christ is the more powerful king. And he can set you free. Just as much as he set this man free, he can set you free. Free from lust. Free from pride. Free from... False imaginations he can set. He, he came to set people free that's what he came to set the captives free the rule of God, the kingdom of God. what a great story and verse twenty seven let's continue reading and they were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves saying, What thing is this what what just happened i mean what what isn't this the synagogue? Isn't it the seventh day? What just happened? And what just happened was Jesus did his work. And he set somebody free. So they were all amazed, questioning among themselves, talking about it. And then a second question. What new, thought, what new doctrine is this? What is, what is this we're hearing and seeing for with authority? Commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. Now I want to spend the last few moments today just talking about this simple subject of their amazement. They were astonished. It says in verse 22, they were astonished. And in verse 27, they were all amazed. And they're saying, what is this? What is happening here? What, there was nothing ordinary about what they were seeing. There was nothing ordinary about what they were hearing. Even though he used the same words that the scribes used, there was something different about his teaching and preaching. They recognized something extraordinary. What new doctrine? Look in verse 27. What new doctrine is this? Even the unclean spirits obey him. This man, Jesus, has authority over the, the evil world of darkness, the powers of darkness. In another place, talking about the natural world, they, won- they wondered that he had authority over the, the winds and the waves. Even the, even the winds and the waves obey him. Please hear me today. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus. The winds and the waves do what He tells them to do. Demons do what He tells them to do. And then I wonder, why would people who claim to know Him disobey Him? Intentionally disobey Him? Why would would you disobey something you know He wants you to do when demons don't disobey Him? When the winds and waves don't disobey Him? Why would you disobey Him? Why would you intentionally do something that He says don't do? Or why would you intentionally not do something He says to do? They were amazed it was taking place in their very... Presence and his fame began to spread throughout Galilee, verse 28. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. The news of Jesus was traveling fast, and it wouldn't be long before that popularity would be widespread. You know why? Because Jesus is amazing. The Jesus of the Bible is amazing. They were all amazed. I think if we could be honest with ourselves today, and I think being honest with ourselves is an important thing to do. Sometimes we're guilty of losing our wonder and amazement at Jesus. It becomes old hat, the name of Jesus, his word, his commands, his promises. It just becomes sort of routine. I saw an interesting post on social media yesterday. It it was a collage of several pictures. One of them was a picture of Black Friday shopping. Kind of gave me a panic attack. Crowds of people, shoulder to shoulder pushing their way into a store. I'd be the one on the inside trying to get out. But anyway. Then there was a picture of the football stadium. Crowds, standing room only, shoulder to shoulder. And then it showed a picture of a church service with half the crowd, half the seats empty. And I think the image is clear. They're amazed at football and amazed at a special deal, but people aren't all that amazed with Jesus anymore. And even if we show up, we show up for one time and we've got our our weekly fix of Jesus, you know. And I think when sometimes when people look at that, and I'm I'm being frank with you today, I think when people look at that and say this great crowd, this great crowd staying up all night uh, to, to get a bargain, and this great crowd standing in line and spending money they can't afford to watch men fight over a pigskin, and then seeing a handful of people in this picture in church, they think, "Well, you know, I, I tell you what we need to do. We need to, you know, we need to make church more entertaining. We just we need some more excitement in church. We, what we need is some razzle dazzle. Maybe that'll make them." No, I tell you, if Jesus doesn't amaze you, there's the problem. You say, "Well, I can have Jesus outside," but the Jesus of the Bible commands us to assemble together and to worship Him. In my course. Of traveling and my conversations with pastors, I hear this. I hear this lamenting frequently, not in a critical way, but in a disturbing way. And I, and I, I was just thinking, up here today about a conversation I had with a man. If I called his name, you most of you would know him. Many of you would know him. A man who's a success, successful pastor of a large church, saying to me. He said, it, doesn't, it seems like no matter how much I study and how much I pray and how much I preach the word, there's just a growing number of people that just aren't that interested. They're just not moved by it. And you would not know this probably, but I hear pastors who are questioning themselves and they're doubting themselves because they're not able to get people engaged Like maybe they're not doing enough. Maybe they're not doing their job good enough. But I'm telling you, if Jesus doesn't matter to a person, what can you do for them? If the Bible's not important, if studying the Bible's not important, if we don't read the Bible and have a sense of awe at the living Word of God, the preserved Word of God, if that does not do something for us, then I don't know what else to do. I mean, His doctrine ought to amaze us. His love should amaze us. I look into the faces sometimes of people who claim to be born again and singing about the blood of Jesus doesn't seem to be somehow permeating their mind or their thoughts or their desires. And I know you can't always tell what's in a person's face, but I'm telling you, His his sacrifice ought to fascinate us. It ought to move us. It ought to motivate us. It ought to do something for us. Jesus never changes. The man who was teaching there, Moses I know people say, well, that Old Testament stuff, well, that's what Moses taught. That's what Jesus taught, right? That's what Jesus taught. And they were amazed at it. Jesus never changes. The best thing we have to offer people is Jesus. Because I want to tell you, He's amazing. People don't need to be enamored with our personality or overwhelmed by our programs and our performances and our presentation. What we need is Him, more of Him, all of Him. Jesus is amazing. And there are young people sitting here and listening to me today and probably some adults as well. And if you'd be honest... Gut-level honest. You don't find Jesus all that amazing. Not as amazing as... He's okay, but not as amazing as basketball. He's more amazing than basketball. The problem is not with Jesus. The problem is with us and our perspective and our values and the things we deem to be important. And if we're not... And I check my own life often because... The only story I know the best is mine. And when I started off, I was amazed at Jesus. I was amazed at His love. I was amazed that He would forgive me and accept me. And I don't ever want to lose that amazement. And if there was a day when you were truly amazed with Jesus... And it's not that way now. It's not because he's less amazing. He's just as amazing as he's ever been. He's the same. He still is loving, still is caring, still as forgiving, still as accepting, still as encouraging as he ever has been. Now this passage is not just about their amazement and astonishment at Jesus. It's about how God set a man free and Changed his life. But I really do believe this. That for many people, the path to ever get where you need to be spiritually and have true revival may begin with your falling in love with Jesus all over again. And just being amazed at Him.